and welcome to Won't You Sing With Me, a podcast by me, Camille Harris from the Silly Jazz Band. Join me as I talk to fellow children's musicians about their work. Why do they make children's music? What's important about it? What makes a good children's song? What is different between a kid's song versus an adult song? And why do they do what they do? This is a podcast for fellow children's musicians, as well as educators and parents. But little ones can listen as well. Thanks so much for tuning in and enjoy the conversation. Hello and welcome to Won't You Sing With Me. Today we're going to be talking to Lucy Kalantari, who is a two-time Grammy Award-winning artist, composer, and producer. She's the front woman and band leader for Lucy Kalantari and the Jazz Cats that makes bilingual jazz age-inspired music for families. Her album, All the Sounds, won the Grammy Award for Best Children's Album, and in 2020, she produced, recorded, and arranged the Grammy Award-winning album, All the Ladies, by Joni Leeds. As a full-time music creator and mother to a nine-year-old musician, she still makes time to mentor, teaching high school and college students to follow the sounds in their hearts and pursue their passion. She's a sound board member for We Are Moving the Needle, a nonprofit organization supporting all women recording industry professionals, audio engineers, and producers, and she is just all around really nice and supportive of everyone in the community. So I'm really happy you're here. Welcome to Won't You Sing With Me, Lucy. Hey, thank you so much, Camille. What a sweet intro. Uh, Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here chatting with you. Yeah, this is, you know, I uh, started this and I tell everyone this, I started this because I got into, you know, kids music just by happenstance. I I was doing jazz in New York, as you know, and uh, performing and I had I was also doing comedy and I had made an album called Silly Jazz that was for adults and then my friend gave it to her kid and she said you know what this is really good for kids you should sing at the Park Slope Library so she connected me with someone there this was like in 2014 and then I just started doing children's shows there and then I started incorporating my jazz stuff and at some point I heard about you and I was like okay kids jazz music exists like this is a thing I'm gonna (laughs) keep doing this and I still have my adult project but you know, I didn't come into it with any, I didn't go to school for early childhood education. I just kind of did it because I was working with kids and I, I happened upon it. And so I kind of was thinking about, wouldn't it be cool to start talking to all these people that I know from this Facebook group, you know, from Instagram and uh, the children's music world and kind of find out how other people got into it, how other people think about the music that they create, like what people think makes a good song, the theory behind what people why people do what they do and and it has been different you know it's been interesting to see the way that people have different ideas about making media for children and and the purpose behind it so yeah I was really excited to get to talk to you I've I've we've been kind of in a similar circle for a while and I'd say Instagram or Facebook friends in the way that it's not just like we linked each other I do interact a lot with your stuff and it's been really cool to see Um, plus I feel like we both live in the similar world we're both jazz musicians who also make you know art for children and also producers so this is pretty cool to get to talk to you thank you for coming i guess the first question is like how did you get into this how did you start making children's music yeah great question and when wow you know our similarities are pretty funny too because i did my first album for kids came out in 2014 pockets full of joy and um but yeah like so how you know this is one of those things where i did i've been making music as many of us have for like practically all my life 
right? Like just doing, I had bands when I was in high school and even before that in middle school in Dominican Republic. And, um, but right when Darius was born, I was invited to do a song a week this like kind of year long program. So 52 songs with the prompt that would give you, you know, they would give you a prompt once a week and then you just write a song and to hold you accountable, you have to make a video of the song. <laughs> of the song you so like, it's a lot, uh, just, and just like post it on YouTube. So the thing was, as I said, Darius was just born and I'm like, Hey, I'd love to do this, but I'm figuring out how to not break this new baby that I have. And you know, this is all pretty scary, but I love the idea of, you know, staying in music in this way while I'm also doing this mother thing, because I know that I'll like totally throw myself so fully into motherhood that I'll forget to spend some time in music too. And so I thought this would be pretty cool. And so I joined in when Darius was seven weeks old. And, um, and so I started the journey once every week. I started writing a song with the prompt and um, I would do a video and some of the videos you could find them actually on YouTube. Um, <laughs> and some of them you could hear Darius as, as he progresses, right? Cause this is over the course of many months. So you could hear him in the background, cooing and laughing or, um, or some videos he's actually in the videos cause he was like in my carrier or something as I'm playing piano. And um, so, what came out of that though were three incredible things that i never would have predicted but one of them i kind of predicted what my love for songwriting runs so deep that like i knew when i went to school for music that i loved like waking up and making music that was just my thing i didn't even care what it was i was doing i was like arranging uh in college i, I helped my blind roommate with her arrangements so I would wake up really early before class started. So she would, I would transcribe stuff for her and all these things. I loved it. So like, I knew that just doing work in music would make me so happy. But this, this other thing, like this writing and having this, this thing, it just felt really, really good. So that just kind of solidified that idea for me. Cause I felt like before that it was just like, Oh, I'm an artist, you know, but this was just like, no, this is, there's, this is deep. There's something in there that's like, this is alive in me. And then speaking of alive in me, Darius also got exposed to this music just at seven weeks old. Now we always played some music around the house, but he was hearing me, right? He was hearing me sing and try some stuff. Now one would say like, but at eight weeks, you know, that doesn't matter. Oh yes, it does. And like, so all these sounds, you know, and he was particularly would perk up when I did songs on the ukulele, he would get really, really, really happy. Like they would just, you know, and, and that shows later, right? And so he's like, you know, a few months old, like three, four, five, six months. Then he started, you know, just the laughter would get louder and he just loved it so much. So I inadvertently exposed Darius. <laughs> to this like kind of songwriting thing, like creating of music and just kind of being in this space like that. And then the third thing that came out of it is Pockets Full of Joy. So all the songs on Pockets Full of Joy were songs from that song week thing. 
So I wound up with these songs with um, a handful of songs that were, you know, kid friendly and like all about uh, most of them were about motherhood and about like kind of raising the child, whether it's like from his perspective or my perspective. And so I started playing them for like my local mom's group and their kids really loved it, too. And it was just like kind of became started taking the shape of its own. And I felt amazing doing it. Like I never felt so at home as I did when I started making music for kids. And I totally had one of these aha moments. Like, what have I been doing with my entire life? Like, I've always loved being around kids. I've always, like, uh, you know, kids always love playing with me. It's like I'm, you know, I'm a favorite aunt, you know, and now I'm a great aunt because my, my nieces and nephews have their kids. And it's just like it all kind of kind of came together. <laughs> and um, and here we are. And that's that's really how how I kind of how I got here you know it's that's such a great reminder of how nothing is a straight line you know there is no path that's just like from here to there and that's it oh no we got to swirl around and do a few like somersaults and you know go upside down for a while but it it hits you on the face and on the head when you are in the right place you feel it you feel it straight to your bones. And that's what I felt like. I'm like, Oh, I, I get it. I know what I want to be doing. And, and, uh, yeah, here we are. <laughs> oh, wow. That's pretty amazing that you came to it kind of while you were pregnant and then through that discovered that this is kind of what you wanted to be doing. So that was that around funny? 2014. <laughs> yeah. So Darius was born in 2012 and I did this program in like January 2013. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was born in, in December. So it was like just at the tail end. So, um, so yeah, I, I never forget when I started because I was just like, all right, I have this baby, yeah. I have this <laughs> newborn. And yeah. So <laughs> when did you start performing a lot? Like, when did you start really like, besides just your mom's group, like, when did you start doing concerts? And I think uh, the first one, like, you know, there were a few sing alongs in that that year that uh 2014 um but let's see the official concert i would say the first one was in 2015. i performed with uh john sampson uh we did a, a a double bill show for valentine's day and um and that was really fun that was just like I could do this all day long, you know, yes. like one of those. So it was just like really neat to play with, with the full band and, and like, uh, you know, just seeing what that was like in a, with kids. Like I, I really didn't know this was a thing that there was a whole genre and a whole like space for this until, um, after pockets full of joy, when I released it, I was just like, all right, well, uh, let me, who reviews stuff like that? Like, where do I go? Like everything I've done was always adult music. So I, my best $200 ever spent was like one of these, like, uh, research. I, I don't know. Like it was before task rabbit existed. 
Right. I forget. It was like one of these, like you just hire somebody to do some work for you on the computer and it was remote. And I tasked somebody to just comb the internet to look for places that review children's albums and that plays children's music on radio. And that's where I like suddenly like that was (laughs) seriously like best $200. I couldn't do it at the time, obviously myself, because like, you know, raising child and doing this other thing. So like I, that's what started this, this whole. That's such a good idea. I never would have thought to do that. (laughs) Isn't that funny? Like it was just. Well, I had only been in, in, in like adult music. So I had like my database was all like, you know, here's for gigs for that, for this and the other. It's like, well, this is different. So like so long nighttime gigs here, 10 a.m. shows, you know. So one of the people who were who came up on this list was out with the kids. That's Jeff Vogel. Okay. And and um, he just fell in love with Pockets Full of Joy. And it was so thrilling to be recognized by someone who's like deep into kids music. Like he was like one of the main kids music reviewers at the time. And, um, and so he wrote a review and also put me on like top best albums for 2014. Wow. And I was just like, what? (laughs) That's amazing. And, and uh, so just sort of keep building, you know, it's all like all these steps kind of, as I, as I kept going from there. So what, what did you do adult music wise? Like what were you doing beforehand? Was it jazz? No. Um, it's very funny. I actually am not trained as a jazz musician. Um, I was raised around jazz with cartoons. (laughs) That is my deep, jazz exposure but uh i studied i went to school for composition and uh production where'd you go to school in new york i went to uh yeah the purchase conservatory oh the purchase, music, they cool. called it that yeah um at the time it was just suny purchase and the music program and then uh the last two years of, of my program they they changed the name to the purchase conservatory wow cool i have a lot of friends who went there Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah. it's, you know, it was, it's a very much like a, I mean, at the time that I went, you had a lot of liberty to do stuff. So like their program was a little bit loose in a way, which, which is great. And also has its own, you know, problems. The amount of like practice rooms they had for people was really great. And the amount of access I had to the recording studios was really great. By the time I was a senior in college, I ran the recording studios. I was the chief engineer cool. of their two recording studios. Yeah, it was really fun. That was it was I was the first uh, female to to have that role, and um, so that was really it was really exciting just to like see the culmination of the work over the years because I kind of like nudged my way in there just because. I had sounds in my head that I wanted to record and I'll figure out a way how, and I'm going to make this happen. So like, you know, I just showed up, it was just showing up a lot, a lot, a lot. Wow. <laughs> Have you worked in any studios in the city? Actually, one of my first jobs uh, was in post-production. That's why I, like, it's funny because like a recording studio versus like post is like, there's such different worlds. So like when people think about traditional recording studios, you know, it's like, I'm not going to get like, you know, 
eventually we landed at a one of the recording studios where Dave Matthews band used to record um it was at room with a view but like my boss at the time just uh leased the space and converted it to his post-production so I was in post-production doing sound and music for TV and radio so like there was a combination of like you know basic ADR like overdubs of uh lines and like there's also sometimes we did jingles and like a lot of commercials and things like that uh, but I, I really loved it when i got so i i did more of the, more of the admin stuff but they knew my background i had started off as an engineer and, and things it was a very small studio so like i kind of did a little bit of a lot of different things um but i always always got to submit demos for um for uh commercials and cool. and things especially for hallmark entertainment and they they did buy some of my pieces that i that's amazing that I wrote and that was really really fun it was in my early 20s that's that was exciting really cool. oh my gosh imagine <laughs> that's pretty cool okay so that's so fascinating you were you know engineering i know you started in producing you did post-production eventually then when you had your baby you started writing these songs i guess a big thing that I'm also looking into like in, in these podcasts what I'm trying to ask people is what do you think makes a good children's song what do you think makes a song a children's song versus an adult song like what are you thinking about when you're writing songs for children that's a really good question um so when I did like my adult music right it's like uh it, it was lumped with adult contemporary which I it sounds so boring <laughs> and like um so for one, children's music is not boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what makes a children's song a children's song? Now, one thing, my biggest uh, discovery when I in, in doing this music and making this music and seeing how children reacted, right? When it's like I had these children friendly songs, but it's just like they don't care if it's jazz or rock or hip hop. It's just like, there's something, their ears are so sophisticated. And like, now granted, you know, you don't wanna overwhelm the palate, right? There's like different, um, as they develop in, in different stages of their growing up, right? There's like, as a, as a baby, as a toddler, and as they go into elementary and upper elementary. So like, like their sound and taste, they all kind of develop, right? They get more and more complex. So I, I do think that it is important to not overwhelm the senses too much, like introduce each thing. But like, uh, so I really enjoyed this uh, quartet sound that I had for Pockets Full of Joy and, and in uh, Big Things. And like kids really were able to pick out those different things. So there's like a bit of an arrangement thing. So, so if you're going for like a, a younger set, you know, there's something beautiful about the simplicity of sound where it's not necessarily that what they're playing is is simple, right? Because certainly everything that, you know, my clarinetist uh, Linus plays is not, it's like beautiful and incredibly complex. But kids dig it. They're like, I get it. So there's something about uh, just the frequency of sound the and and like, you know, how, how, uh, how wide or how complex. So there, there's something, again, this depends on, on the age range you're, you're targeting. 
But I think uh, at the end of the day, it's also the subject. That's the thing that that's like, what's the takeaway of the song? We get the opportunity to help children and their families in the development of their child as they become a full-grown person, right? So that's kind of like the space that we're in. So what makes children's music children's music is that is how we contribute to that part of their of their lives whether it's you know the the silly movement songs we need those silly movement songs they're not there just to be silly and like for the silly that is meant to be silly yes we need that too we need to be light and then then it gets like even more complex where it's just like dealing with emotions dealing with feelings and what's interesting about this and the space that we're in creating this music for, for children is that it's also for children and their families. And the reason why it extends to the families is uh, you want them to be able to sit together and, and listen to it too, right? But also the conversation starters that you get from that. So that when you go into more complex things like dealing with emotions, they can have that conversation. Oh, remembering that song when they said about being mad and how sometimes you know you want to clench your fist or or whatever it is and it helps so we're giving tools also to families to the parents to talk and work things out because there's no perfect manual for being a parent there's no perfect manual for, for being you know any kind of caregiver there's suggestions and there's ideas so like we're we're handing these tools for everybody to to work through them which I think to me is like, it's such an honor. And it's also like a big responsibility. And like, and I see that uh, as I raised Darius, you know, just the, we're always talking about everything and anything. And I love that he's so willing to open up like that. So he's 10 now. So like, (laughs) and, um, and you know, that's, that's part of it. And um, the song from my last album, you know, I, I want to bring this this up because just about what makes a children's song a children's song, right? It's called Round and Round. I wrote it, like I remember just after having a conversation with somebody whose father passed away. And, and they were so very upset. You know, it was like really like broken, broken on the phone. I'm like, my entire heart was just like, Oh, I am with you. I wanted to hold them and I'm just on the phone and I, I just sending them hugs and I, I'm like crying. You know, I never met her father. I've never like, but I felt it through the phone, right? Like I just felt all this stuff. And I, so right after I got off the phone, I recorded in my, in my, uh, on my memo <laughs> recorder, like, like the melody, like life goes round and round. And, um, Conversely, that evening, like not as extreme, right? Like this is a totally different. Here's Darius on um, in the living room. He is uh, doing rainbow looms. He was doing rainbow loom bracelets. He's re- got really. He goes into these phases, right? It's so funny because it's like it comes kind of comes in and out, and like tons of rubber bands everywhere. Uh, but he was doing a very very complex bracelet. Like it was so he was watching YouTube videos to get like, like it was really nuts. He's like, mom, this is the snakeskin quadruple, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what he's doing. I'm like, okay, cool. But then I hear him like, he's like, no. And he's just 
sobbing. And it was just so awful. And I could feel the pain and I could hear the sorrow in his voice and the frustration. And so, you know, I went over. And so this is where, you know, we get to, I hear him out. You know, he's just like, this is, I broke it. You know, this, this step was hard and I worked so hard on this and it just broke. The whole thing fell apart. It was so awful. And he's like, just this despair. And so I, I talk him through it. You know, we, we hold hands, we take deep breaths. We've got to calm the body first. And then we talk through it. And it's just like, you know, I'm sorry this happened. You're learning something new and it's very frustrating, but you know what? You can do it again and you'll get better and better and better. And that's where we're like round and round started really taking shape because I realized like, there's like, you know, there's the really, really the heavy emotions that come from tragedy, right? A loss and things. And they're, heavy and complex emotions for, for someone so young, like Darius, who was just very frustrated, you know, about this thing that he was working on for hours and hours. But all of these things, they're, they are part of life. And like, as parents, we want to protect our children from everything, but we, we can, but we can prepare them. And this is where, again, this is where that, where that song comes from, right? Where here's the, the difference between, you know, children's songs and content so in this song it's about that it's about resilience but in order to learn resilience you have right. to fall first and then climb back up and that's so hard so it's just sort of a, a way to walk through it to walk through that emotion walk through you know here this is where you are now but that's temporary and you're going to keep going and you're going to keep going and that's that's really it. I don't know if that's like uh, if that answers your question, but it's just sort of like this is part of we're, we we get to have this little you know we get to drop these little bits of you know little teachings and kind of gems for their lives that they can take forever. I certainly remember so many things I've learned from Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers from watching, you know, and I'm grateful for that. So we get the opportunity to do just that now. I th oh, that's I think that's a beautiful way to explain that. Uh, the idea that like we're kind of collaborating with parents, maybe not in the moment, but our maybe what we offer them is a way to collaborate to help them support their children and themselves in the most positive way. That's really inspiring to think about. Like, yeah, okay, I can I can help someone feel better, you know. I, I don't really, I, unfortunately, we don't have to, that, that much time now to talk about all the, all the advocacy work you're doing, but uh, maybe we can touch on that a little bit, kind of what led you to kind of becoming a leader in this community of children's musicians and uh, women's producers and women in technology. Like, how did you get to that point to become a leader in that space? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say leader, but yeah, like, yeah, I would, I, I would know. definitely say leader. <laughs> I mean, I stand like, by that. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, really honored and floored to be alive at this time. Like, uh, there's so much, uh, movement happening, you know, where some of these barriers are breaking right so many glass ceilings are being broken and like 
Um, having done, you know, my, uh, all the sounds, which won, you know, Grammy and like, I produced that record. I have everything. Like I knew how I wanted to sound. I knew all the things, how I wanted it to be. And like, uh, then going to Joni's record and then having like, I have it and I have the sound in my head and like, um, and then suddenly speaking with Emily Lazar, who the same year where uh, all the sounds won, Emily won for mastering engineering. She was the first female to ever win that. And that's when I started realizing how rare that was because then I started seeing reports, hey, for the first time, blah, blah, blah. And I was in the article like about, uh, first of all, how many female artists won. And I was listed as one of 19 females who okay. took a Grammy home that year. Wow. One of 19. And I, I just remember reading that going, wait, really? Yeah. Like there are 80, I forget, 84, 86 awards at the, and, and you know, they change, like they'll add new categories, but like at the time it was roughly around 84 and like, like really 19 that's yeah that's really little <laughs> yeah. you know and and um and so like it, it, in that road of just like you know doing your thing you kind of just just sort of go on your path and then you kind of look aside that to me I, I saw it like I was looking around going wait a minute I I didn't realize that I am one of not too many right and um so I got to talk with Emily, uh, who had this amazing idea for an organization that she was calling, we are moving the needle. Mm -hmm. And it's just moving the needle, right? A meter uh, of how many women are in production. And it really has taken off and has had a life of its own. And speaking of intention, which is how we started, right? Like, what's your, like, why we do what we do? One of the things that really stood out to me, and I never forget this first conversation with her about it, is that she had the intention so clear about what she wanted to do, why, and how. And, like, that's really, really powerful when you have this clarity, you know, just, like, where you are, how you want to do this, then suddenly things kind of start falling into place. And so the whole thing is part of doing uh, for this program, they have scholarships to educate. So whether it's like mastering programs or even scholarships to a full program, uh, like I forget how long it is, a five month program at Blackbird Academy. Uh, it's really serious, really wow. amazing program. And um, sometimes they'll have like one-offs that are like mastering classes. So that's its own thing. Wow. And um, there's also equip. So some people um, can register to, to try to get equipment. So, so we'll provide them with equipment. And like, so, so that when they go into their program, they don't go at ground zero, right? They have some experience already with some decent equipment. One of the things Emily realized in her research is that a lot of the young uh, women, when they start the program, they don't have 
the experience and equipment as many of their male counterparts do. Interesting. And so, so it's educate, educate, equip, and then energize, energize. That's where I come in, right? Where I'm a soundboard member. So I was a mentor for one of the young women who did the scholarship. And so I met with her several times throughout the program, checking in with her and you know, that she's not alone. Cause the whole thing is just like, like she moved from LA, like my, my mentee, she had moved from LA to Tennessee to go to this program. So she's like out on her own. So we yeah. don't want her to like, just be like, yeah. you know, in this new place, new town and like kind of by herself so far, like it's only been a couple of years and, and it's just seeing all the change this has made already. Um, one of the people was on a, one of the programs who got a scholarship. She wound up on one of the nominee list in wow. the past. Apparently it's just like, see, it's happening. And it's just like, and it's a little, this has only been like two years. That's so like amazing. little by little, you just keep, keep kind of nudging and like, more importantly, showing the support um, that's there and knowing that it's safe to do it. Now, now it's just like, you know, don't go to an audio pro- program just to prove a point, right? Like sure you do enough. it because you love it. Yeah. Like, you do this thing that, that you love. And um, and do it in, in this place where, where you don't have to feel in, intimidated, which I, I remember like it is a man's kind of area when I was, you know, back in the nineties. Uh, and it still is, but you see, you see some changes now and like, it's very different today than it was back in the nineties. And, um, most of the teachers at Berkeley NYC where I just got my master's (laughs) were women. That is so cool. And I didn't even think about it Mm -hmm. until later. I was like, Oh, that is cool. They probably, I'm sure Marilee James who ran that program did that on purpose, but Mm -hmm. Uh, it is pretty amazing to see that. It, and it's great because it also sets a norm. Like, you know, yes, that, uh, that it is totally normal. Like, like Darius didn't really understand, you know, it, what's the big deal? It's just like, well, because like, uh, you know, my, uh, I worked with Denise who did, um, you know, my mixing mm-hmm. and recording. And so he's been to that too. He's, He's around yeah. women all the time who do right. this work. He's just like, of course the women do it. Why wouldn't there be? So this is right. totally normal. And that's great. And and so he he sees he sees everyone in it. Yeah. And like um and I've also worked with ants on a log, uh, which I want to make sure that we talk about also non-binary people in this too, because um, you know, we are moving the needle also, they include women and non-binary. And it's just like, you just don't see enough in there. So it's just like push, push, push. And like, um, so I was able to do work with Ants on a Log last year a little bit and a little bit of like kind of recording session, but also like training at the same time, which was really, really fun. Um, Julie, Julie and I worked together and they really just, taking off and doing their thing. And I'm just like really thrilled to see people feeling more and more supported and more, um, you know, just uplifting, uplifting mm-hmm. people to do the work that they love. That's really it. Cause when you do the thing that you love, you're going to make really good stuff for the world. So yeah, 
That's well, not bravo. Bad, right? I'm so glad that you're part of that. Thank you for sharing the information about that incredible organization and for coming on to this podcast. Oh, uh, we are, we're going to play your song round and round now, and I hope everybody enjoys it. And I hope that people listening to this are becoming inspired and also learning. You know, I, I see this as my own private masterclass where I get to pick the brains of all my peers around me. And it, I feel like I'm learning more and more every day. So I hope that I can share that with whoever listens to this. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. podcast is produced, mixed, and mastered by me, Camille Harris, from the Silly Jazz Band. We're under at the Silly Jazz Band on Instagram. And if you want to send us an email, our email is sillyjazzband at gmail.com. Have a great day. Bye.